On the Arantia Radio podcast, you might remember from a few podcasts before, Gabriel was part of a group, the CenterForUnity.org project. Gabriel has several very ambitious projects involving using tech and other media to help spread the life and teachings of Jesus, which includes a cinema full-length movie and series, a museum along the Sea of Galilee, an online user interactive project, and if possible, even the building of a temple for the Unseen Father, which for those familiar, is something that has only occurred one or two times in all of human history. Uh, he spent seven years, this is really what blew me away about Gabriel, seven years translating the book, uh, the Urantia book, into Hebrew. Uh, and then, uh, after almost 40 years of going through life and really having no interest at all in religion, he tells us that he gets baptized and, of all places, the Sea of Jordan. So, uh, boy, there's a story here, and I, I got to delve into it a little bit. Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us again on the Urantia Radio Podcast. It's my pleasure, Jim. It's a beautiful program, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, my goodness, where do I want to start? There's so many interesting things. You were pretty much an, an, an unorthodox Jew for most of your life, and then suddenly Jesus comes into your life as you're in the process of translating. Is, it, is, this, is that the process? Take us into that beginning. And what do, first of all, you know, there's other questions connected to this because Jewish history is a very proud history, um, and it's led to a lot of problems in the world today. Even today, they're they're completely mistreated, and there's still problems with anti-Semitism. But sometimes I wonder if it's because they cling so much to their religious pride, uh, because the fact is, you're unique. Uh, being a Jew in Israel, I assume you're a Christian or at least, you know, a follower of Jesus. So that must, in your life, be very interesting. There's a lot to unpack in what you asked, but I'll, I'll, I think I'll simplify it by saying that, um, like a very good politician, I do not accept the premise of your question. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing is that my path to God, spirituality, Jesus, was so um, different than all the people that I know. Um, and I'll just give you the highlights. I spent my first 36 or seven or eight years happily in the materialistic realm, trying to make as much money as I could, having a very posh job in the Israeli defense industry, creating top secret intelligence systems and running huge software programs and making a lot of money until I hit a dead end. And that dead end is uh, there was a war in Israel in 2006 and there were missiles flying. And I slept in a safe room that was the basement in the house. And the question that kept going into my head is, am I going to wake up tomorrow morning? And is this my life? Like everything I've been doing. And once this question went into my head, I just couldn't get rid of it. And so I quit that job. I divorced my wife. I left my children for two years and I went searching for answers. But I even, I couldn't say that I went searching for answers. I was just escaping my own pain. 
I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking to be enlightened. All these things came much later. And what I found is yoga. So from a secular Jew with no religion affiliation whatsoever, and I wasn't a practicing Jew. I was born in a secular family. Uh, I, I went very, very, very deep into the yogi uh, Hinduism rabbit hole. I spent a whole year studying yoga in Thailand in a very, very eccentric, eccentric school. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so meditating many hours a day, doing a lot of very, very weird yogic practices. And then eventually decided that I want to be enlightened, which, you know, it's take your pick what it means. Um, but I was deep into a spiritual search when the Arantia book landed on my lap or I landed on its lap. Um, I didn't know why, but a few months after I started reading it and I was devouring it, um, the, like many other things in my life, this idea appeared in my mind that it needs to be translated. And I, you know, I looked for a Hebrew version. It didn't exist to that point. In my life, I never translated a single word. So the Arantxa book is basically my first translation. You can argue that it's probably the most complex text ever to translate. But I just jumped into it, you know, and um, and I, I was guided into this. I was ter- tremendously helped by many people, seen and unseen beings. Um, and then Jesus appeared in my life through the Arantxa book. So before that... I was a secular Jew, then I went and became a yoga teacher and practiced yoga into many, many aspects of it and went very deep into it. Uh, Then the Urantia book came. Then I understood who Michael is, who Jesus is. And that realization was first intellectual. Oh, my God. This is the creator son of a universe, our universe. My creator son appeared in the flesh on this planet. This is Jesus. What do I do with this? So I was in the middle of this translation. So I finished the translation. But then somewhere in that process, things opened up to the point where the stuff that I had in my head slowly went down into the heart. And then this relationship with Jesus started to appear. I'm not a Christian. I'm not affiliated with any church or movement other than Urantia movement, which is not a church. So I don't practice any of the dogmatic uh, or theologic or ecclesiastic or whatever you call it, um, things that Christians do. Uh, In the outward, I live in Israel. I'm still Jewish. I celebrate the Jewish holidays. I don't practice any of the Judaic law. I'm not observant. So I, I, you know, probably I don't fit anywhere. (laughs) And that's basically why I think I'm uniquely fit to do this. Just, I want to share Jesus with the world. I know what it did to me. I'm not sharing Jesus as a Jew or as a Christian, just sharing Jesus as a person. I understand from personal experience, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with God and how the stories of Jesus and and the teachings and, and the Urantia book helped me through my own personal journey. So even before I started all these projects, I many, many years ago, somebody asked me, what is your gift? And I looked at this person. He was very wise. I think 
I, I haven't met him since, but um, I looked at him and I said, you know what? It's a very good question and I don't have an answer. But the fact that he asked me that question, you know, started, you know, what is my gift? What is my gift? And it took years until a very short sentence appeared, which is to spread spiritual teachings. So that's my role. My role is to spread the spiritual teachings. So I, I went and I became a yoga teacher and I, and I taught yoga and meditation and mindfulness. I'm writing a book about finding God, detailing my whole personal experience in many, many, many different things that I did, different spiritual traditions, different spiritual practices, different teachers and guides. Um, where are the pitfalls in this? It's almost like... A, you know, a roadmap companion to somebody who's on a spiritual journey. And I'm writing this to myself 15 years ago, who was stuck in that room with flying missiles and asking, is this it? You know, is this life? So I guess, long answer, um, I don't fit any of those categories. Um, the, the actual boxes of a Jewish person or a Christian person I am a, a follower of Jesus by virtue of understanding in the in the head who he is and then falling in love with the person that springs out of the pages of the Orange book, um, knowing he's my creator son, and that one day I will be sitting, kneeling, standing, I don't know what I will be doing, in front of Michael in Salvington, a graduating mortal appearing before the Creator's Son, asking for his blessing to continue on outside the realms of Nebadon. And I will tell him, he will probably know before I tell him, Right. I am your child. I come from your world. And I decided to spend the rest of my life after the age of 40 sharing your teachings with every person who would like to hear. And hopefully by the time I take my last breath on this planet, I would have done it with billions of people. If this is your will, Father, then these ideas, these projects have the potential to touch many, many, many people, not just in this generation. You know, so that's what makes me get up in the morning with a smile and say, well, one more day of work. I don't feel like it's work and it's wonderful. And one day I will look back at all of this in front of Michael and he will understand how I feel. So, you know, once I understood who Michael is, who Jesus is, I just asked, what's next for me? And after finishing the translation, all these things kept appearing in my mind, one after the other. So, you know, people come, money comes, idea come, and we're just doing it one step at a time. Uh, such great, what a great story. I want to get into this translation part because I know that the foundation has done such a terrific job over the decades. What does that process look like? Do you start with, how long does it take to, I guess it depends on the words, right? It depends on the words themselves. Surely you ran into, well, we don't have a word that exists that says this. So what do you do when that happens? I mean, what's that like? Okay, so first I want to say, um, there's been many people in the foundation over the last 40, 50 years uh, that have evolved a very robust process, translation process. Right now it's Tamara and George and Marilyn, uh, but there were 
others before them. Um, before you can start translating your Rancho book, um, this is the, the foundation process. There's, there's other people doing it different ways. I cannot comment on that. They asked me to read it twice, cover to cover. And I did. It took me about a year to do that. So I basically was reading a year full time, basically, just devouring <laughs> That's the a book. commitment in itself. I mean, two years reading this book you've never read before. <laughs> yeah. Required reading. Um, required reading. And then you start with, there's a list of special terms. I think now it's got over 1,500 words or terms. And you have to translate those terms into the target language, in this case, Hebrew, or transliterate. Transliterate means uh, like Salvington, you write the word Salvington in Hebrew, in Hebrew letters, but when you read it, it sounds Salvington. So that's transliteration or translation, which means, for example, the word Absonite, my feeling was my understanding from the context is that it's an amalgamated word between absolute and finite. So if I'm right, and maybe I made a mistake, but if I'm right, then I made a new word in Hebrew that is an amalgamated word between the translation of absolute and the translation of finite. So I made a new word. Um, in Hebrew, it's common because um, there's many amalgamated words like this, but even in Spanish, you know, the, the word uh, umbrella in Spanish is paragua. And paragua is, is, a, is a combination of para, which means to stop, and agua, which means water. So paragua is something that stops water. Um, I see. Interesting. Okay. So a list of 1,500 or so special terms or words, everything you can think about names of people and places in Urantia and outside of Urantia, you know, eventualize stuff that doesn't exist um, and which they had to make in English. So I had to make in Hebrew. That took me about three months to go over that list. And only after I read the book twice and I did that list and we had a work plan, I started with the translation. So I, I started with the foreword, and then sequentially, one after the other. Uh, there were two more people on my team. Uh, Avi Dogim, who's already graduated, um, was, uh, let's say, the long-term reader. His Hebrew was not as polished as mine because he didn't live in Israel for many, many years. But he was more in charge of making sure I didn't miss any of the concepts. Mm. And there was another person, uh, Ezekiel, uh, who was an author and a poet, he wasn't a Urantia book student, uh, but he was a gifted wordsmith. So he would take my translation with Avi's comments and edit it, copy edit. And then my role would be to look at everything and then say, okay, this is the original meaning I had in mind. It's good to go. So it's a, it's a very, it's a multi-step process, multi-year process. Um, this is the way we did it. We did it in Word documents with track changes. Um, the foundation um, has built in the past the system, the software system. I, I just couldn't make it work for me. Uh, it was too complicated for me, so I opted for Word. Um, but there's also now I think they have uh, professional um, translation tools. There's professional software. Mm -hmm. 
But the process itself is, you know, you go one paper at a time. After you have all those special words, one more thing I did, which is important, I used the Paramony by Dwayne Faw, and I had another person, a friend of mine, uh, create a, a, a series of Excel sheets. She went paper by paper, and every time there was a quote from the Old or the New Testament in one of the papers, according to the Paramony, she would actually copy, uh, copy the words from... Um, the Old Testament has only one version in Hebrew. There's only one single version. But the New Testament has many, many versions in Hebrew. So I had to choose one version that I liked. And then she would basically say, okay, here's in this paper section paragraph, there is a quote from either the Old or the New Testament. And here's the text. So by the time I got there, I didn't have to look any, for anything. I just read the source material in English. I see the, where the quote is because sometimes they don't quote verbatim. They mm -hmm. they rearrange the words. I've they truncate that. some of the yeah. yeah. So then I have the source material and I can write my translation. That saved me thousands of hours. I don't know what other people do, but this was an insight <laughs> that I had early on. I think I did this translation in record time. I finished it in under seven years, and I wasn't working full time. It was one year that I actually took a sabbatical of everything else I was doing. And I just said, I'm just going at it. And it was one of the happiest years of my life. You know, it's like I would just write music, play the piano, <laughs> translate <laughs> hours and hours and hours. And it was amazing. Um, so so it, it was a, an amazing journey. So, so the beginning of the journey, you're unfamiliar with the text. You're not completely... I imagine you weren't completely sold. Were you already uh, at that point where you had accepted the uh, Urantia book as a revelation and then you became a translator or were you a translator first, introduced to the book, and then you went, oh, my God, this is something else? So what was the what was the timeline on that? Right. Yeah, the timeline is um, I was traveling in Europe. Somebody mentioned the Urantia book. I downloaded it to my phone. It was a very old phone with a very small screen. This is 2011. And I started reading on my phone. About three months into this process, I, I knew this was a revelation pretty much from the first letter that I read. I <laughs> knew this was true. Uh, but of that. course, I I've couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> I cannot prove any of it. But it was, I had no doubt. I still have no doubt. It was tricky because as a yogi, uh, you know, I, I had assumed beliefs from the Hindu system, which talk about karma and reincarnation and enlightenment and samsara and all those things. And I had to give those beliefs away, knowing that I wasn't here before. <laughs> this is my first incarnation. There will be no other <laughs> human mortal incarnation. You know, it, it took me, it was a while before I could come to terms with everything it, it was it was rocking me to the core but i had no doubt from the first moment that this was a revelation um and from that point of view i approached the foundation and asked them if they want the translation to be made yeah so um yeah and then the next seven years that's what you're doing what an amazing story i mean just unbelievable so now you're in you're reading this profound stuff. 
uh, I mean, in my own experience, reading it as I do, I'm constantly profoundly impressed by the authorship, by the uh, intelligence involved. I mean, the, the I, in one, I wrote an article about how we really did get some of the best teachers in the universe, and they brought them together for this project. Are, are there any uh, particular papers that grab you more intensely than others? And then I wanted to start talking about the projects that you're involved with. This is a very personal point. My mom died from cancer when I was 33 years old. This is 20 years ago. Way before I started my spiritual search, way before the Orangebo came into my life, I was deep into my materialistic phase. She basically went in about six months. And it was very quick. And I remember her on her deathbed. She didn't even talk to me. I looked her her eyes, and she was filled with terror. And all she could say is, you know, she knew she was dying, and she just was terrified of what's going to happen to her, you know, death. I didn't know what to say to her. I had no tools, no insights, no, obviously no knowledge. So I said, you know, Mom, I think it's going to be okay. It's going to be, but I had nothing more to say. As soon as the unfolding, the tremendous unfolding of, you know, who am I? What am I doing here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? All those answers are there in the Rancher book for the finding. I felt tremendous relief knowing that this is not, I mean, I'm not afraid of dying. This is not something I have. Um, obviously, you know, if I'm faced with dying, I, I will probably feel differently, but <laughs> I'm not thinking about death all the time. Um, but now it's like, I can share with other people and say, here's how it looks. You know, this is a plan. We're not an accident. We're far from being an accident, but it's all designed. And this is what's going to happen to you later. And then I say, you know, I cannot prove any of this to you, but I believe this is true. And even today, I said this to somebody who lost her, uh, a very close uh, person. Uh, I told her, you know, you're going to meet this person again on a different level. And you will both recognize each other. And you will not remember everything that happened between you, but you will remember that you were important to each other. And the most salient, the most spiritual aspects of this relationship, you will have memories of. And you will recognize each other. And then you can go on. This is not only your dad. It's your boss and your friends and your relatives. I can say this to people, and, and they feel comforted. And they believe me because I speak... No, not from experience, but I, I'm almost using the authority of the Arantxa book to say this is, I believe this is true. And because it's so vast and so um, tremendously superhuman, I mean, there's no way somebody can make this up. Um, and like I said, I, I had no doubts from, you know, they had me at hello. <laughs> you know, like they used to say. <laughs> and and so, you know, what do I do with my life from here? I don't look back. I look forward. And um, and, and, and I think this, this is beneficial to many other people. The question is, obviously, this book is not for everybody because of many reasons, not the least because of its size and, and breadth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but how can many people enjoy this? And I think uh, focusing on the life and the teachings of Jesus and the very simple truth, I'll just finish my answer with this, that I am a child of God. And by, I don't have to do anything. This is my, what my wife says. Do anything to be loved. You're a child. I, there's no conditions. It doesn't mean like you, th- that your parent likes everything you do. Right. It doesn't mean that you always obe- uh, you're obedient, but you're loved unconditionally. And this is your starting point. And this really flips everything that many people believe, that God is a punishing God, that you know, there's hell and you're going to burn if you do this and this and this. And most, most of the time, we cannot help but sin and do all those things because we're human. We're doomed just by taking a breath you know, and thinking a thought. This flips it all upside down and says, yeah, you, you, you're still perfecting. It's going to take a long time. But I love you just the way you are. And you're my child. And you're unique in this universe of universes. There's going to be no other being like you. It doesn't mean that you're more important or better than anybody else. You're just like everybody else. God is not respect, no respecter of persons in that sense. But the flip side is there's nobody else like you. Yeah. You have uniquely gifts and talents and dispositions and, and a personality. How wonderful could that be? You know, it's like, hallelujah. Uh, these simple truths, if we can share them with people, just like Jesus did, you know, as, as mm-hmm. all those incidents where he just touched a person in two or three or five minutes with a simple conversation, with a simple message of hope, and transform that person's life. That's why we're focusing on part four. Um, and I think that is what, that is part of what is happening. There's a confluence of many things, all of them I have no idea of. Our unseen elder brothers and sisters are hard at work helping us um, do many things that will advance humanity. And I feel we, because we're asking and because I feel this is inspired, we are part of that stream of things that are happening around the world. will help everybody take a small by decisive step towards light and life. You can look around, our world is crumbling. Um, it, it probably did many times before. I, I just wasn't here to see it, but you yeah. can see it now. Um, yeah. And it's not sustainable. So it's it's going to break in many levels and something new will come up. And my hope and pray is that the new is going to be influenced these teachings, this simple truths, and that we find a way to have God inside everything we do. I don't know how to do it. I just try to do it in my life, and then I'm, I try to share this with another person. But if another person doesn't even believe in God, then they still have some work to do before that happens in their yeah. life. And, and that that's an interesting point, because you were a man on the hunt for truth, but you didn't necessarily want to find religion, is from what I'm finding. Is is that a pretty accurate statement? Like, it wasn't something even, you were searching would, for. You sort of stumbled into it. I would even be more blunt and say I was a man running away from pain and trauma and trying to feel better. Everything else was a result of this drive to 
feel a humongous hole that I had in my chest that I just couldn't live with anymore. So I went to yoga, I meditating, I wanted to be enlightened, I started reading the Urantia book. But eventually all that transformed when I understood that simple truth, you know, I don't have to be anything else that I am right now. Yeah. I am, you know, I just I just do my work and then I I am progressing, I'm evolving. I don't have to be perfect to be loved. Yeah. I am loved just now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gabriel, let's talk about the Center for Unity Projects, where we're at with them. And just real quickly, you've got a movie or a series that you're developing, uh, a museum, an interactive, and I want to get more into that, an interactive, I assume it's a cloud-based interactive. I'll let you explain. So let's say you wanted to share the life and teachings of Jesus with many, many, many people. So make it accessible all around the world. Uh, what we're doing is we're taking several avenues at the same time. Since these are happening simultaneously, but they have their own pace. We're making an app. We call this the metaverse. It's a fancy word, and it's a very modern word. Uh, but this app is going to be free, ad-free, so no commercials. And it's not related to any of the commercial companies, Meta, formerly Facebook, or any other. There's going to be actually many metaverses. Uh, this is the way things are going. So ours is going to be one of, and it's just going to be about Jesus. So that's an app. Then we ha- we're building a, a museum in an existing uh, building uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. This building already houses and has been for many years something called the Galilee or the Jesus Boat. This is an actual object that was excavated from the Sea of Galilee about 40 years ago and preserved for posterity using scientific techniques. The people who research this say this is an innovative way of connecting the boards together. And we know from the Orange book that Jesus and Zebedee had actually have innovated. Uh, so mm-hmm. my feeling, again, no proof here, is that he Jesus either designed this boat or actually built it with his own hands. Yeah, he was the boat and, builder of Capernaum, and there is an actual statement that said that he revolutionized the way the boats were built. So that's interesting, yes. yes. Yeah, so in the same building... Behind the wall where this boat already is now presented, there's a huge auditorium that has been left empty for the last 50 years. They built a huge wing and haven't finished it. And it's just standing there. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So like our plan is to, <laughs> it's waiting. Yeah. So, and, you know, I heard about this four years ago, but I wasn't ready. This is to show you the timing of things. I heard about this thing, but at four years ago, the museum wasn't conceived in my mind to the point that I could say, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. But now we are. We hired a professional venue design company to help us conceptualize this. And we want to do something that is world class. You know, people will come to Israel just to see this. Mm-hmm. It's going to be world class. So that's the museum. But what if you cannot come to Israel? We will take that museum and we will ship it and replicate it to major cities around the world. And we call this the experience. Mm -hmm. And it's been done with 
the life of an art of Van Gogh and Klimt and Monet. And there's five or 10 global companies around the world doing this. They're producing high quality film and immersive um, VR yeah, type of experiences. Reality. They do it for yeah. when you buy real estate. You can look at get a 3D. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Doctors do so, use it to teach people to train them to new uh, surgical skills. So, but this, the, the beauty of this is, okay, you're going to go back and experience the life and the teachings of Jesus, but you're going to be able to do this in major cities around the world. You won't be able to, you, you won't need to travel to Israel. We understand that not everybody will do that, even though I think it's going to be a marvelous venue, which people will talk about. This is my, we're going for, you know, we're shooting for the stars. We're going to do something that is world-class as best as we can do it. Yeah. You know, everything we do really has to be worthy of Jesus and Michael. We're doing this first for class, him. Right. Yeah. Yes. First class. So if we cannot do this for class, we will not do it. Yeah. Good. Point. So that's the experience. Yeah. So we have a software piece, we have a museum and an experience. And then it really, it really wants to be bored. We're thinking of doing not a feature film, which is, you know, 90 minutes, 120 minutes. If you're James Cameron, you can go with 300 minutes, <laughs> but that's it, you know? You cannot, and if you want to do Schindler's List, which they have, it's eight hours, but that's Schindler's List. And uh, no, not Schindler's List, not uh, the Beatles movie. There's a, Let it be. No, no, no. There's a movie about, uh, no, no. It's called, it's, um, it's a movie. It's a, it's an eight hour thing about the Holocaust. Uh. I'm not sure, but you know, it's, it's, I saw it when I was young. It's an amazing thing. Eight hours. But you know, wow. that's, yeah, it's, it's eight hours. What we want to do is the, the life story of Jesus is tremendous. And there's so much richness there. Every, every human life, but more so our creator's son. We want to take 50 hours. So we want to do 50 episodes. And we're going to show the things that happened as, as best as we can from the Synoptic Gospels, from the Urantia book, but also show the backstories. And some of them are going to be fictional. We're going to write them up so that they coincide and blend with with this, the information that yeah. we have from the Gospels and from the Orange Book. So it's going to be drama. It's going to be live action. We're going to recreate first century Palestine, Alexandria, Rome, all those places, wow. Jerusalem, using CGI. They have something called the lead volume. Have you heard of the lead volume? No. It's basically a glass or lead dome, huge. And you and today you have computer software that you can download now and it's free. It's amazingly rich and you can create anything you want on that software. And if you have that wall, which is a multi-media dollar piece of equipment, everything is created by computer and the actors are inside. They're acting. In, and it's not a green screen and everybody's wearing green suits. They're actually acting inside the reality that you're creating for them. So with this technology, you can recreate his meeting with Tiberius, everything that happened in the temple, his house uh, in Nazareth, anything, everything in the computer with live actors. That's so amazing. this is going to be um, something that 
was not possible 10 years ago. Yes, you could have done a 300 million film like Avatar right. 10, 15 years ago and spend 300 million and, and do amazing uh, virtual effects, amazing storytelling, amazing everything. But today, you can do this on your computer. And then if you add this, the, the information Story. we have from the Urbancha mm-hmm. book yeah. and the technologies, this is a winning combination. So the fourth project we call Cinematic Jesus, which is a 50-episode series telling the whole thing in film, all of it. And you will have to hire a lot of people, or no? I mean, it sounds to well, me like a Cecil B. DeMille production, you know, from the Ten Commandments. So, yeah, um, I'm not a film producer. So, you know, I, I've learned something called who, not how. <laughs> you want to do something and ask who can help me, right. who can do it for me. So that's my prayer. And lo and behold, You've met her, and she was on the podcast, uh, a sister, a Urantia book reader, and has been working in the film studio for 30 years. I ah. meet her a year ago. Her name is Carrie mm-hmm. Leish. We start talking. I tell her an earlier version of this story. This, this, you know, this 50-episode thing wasn't born in a moment. You know, I didn't have this idea fleshed out. Yeah. I had something else, but... We start talking, and then all of a sudden, somebody who she thought could be directing this actually comes into her studio with this lead volume and strikes the deal with the studio to put this equipment inside her studio and also wants to do this. He he gets a copy of the Untold Story and the Arantxa book, and he says, oh, my God, there's so much information here. Of course, he was born Christian, but he's not necessarily, I think he's Catholic, but he's Mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, attached to a version of Christianity and he's open minded. Yeah. And he says, this is this is an amazing opportunity. So all these things are happening. So the question the, the answer to your question is, yes, there will be a lot of people working, but I don't think I will be hiring them. We will. We will have a very lean organization, which is the Center for Unity, that will be overseeing many things. Mm-hmm. Every project will have a project leader. You know, if it's a series, then there will be, have to be writers and directors and producers. I'm not any of those things. But so you're I can an visualize things. You can pull these, I'm an these pieces together, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you have a clear vision. You communicate that vision to these folks, yeah. and then they can run with it. And then you have to kind of let the process take itself right and to completion um what an amazing this is where i think the fundraising is really important because obviously all of this is is not cheap even if it's with a small group of people uh but it's exciting and uh i don't know how you're going to do it but i'm excited for you because where are we at with each like uh any particular element of this that you're very excited at this point now you're starting to see things come together yeah so first of all i don't know how this will happen and and the beautiful thing is i don't have to because it's not my project i'm just a a, you know i'm just a channel i i my prayer to our father is no you bring me your send the perfect ideas 
the talent and the treasure at the right time, I will get up in the morning today, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, until I draw my last breath on this planet and I will do the work, whatever it is. So this is not mine to do. This is, if this is the father's will, the people will arrive, the money will arrive. Obviously we have to communicate. Obviously we have to make presentations and write emails and produce newsletters and do pitches. We do all of those things, obviously. And we do have to do fundraising. But it's not my responsibility. It's not my business. It's our father's business. He's the boss, or he, she is the boss, because some people like God to be gender neutral. So let's say he, she. Uh, We're just working in this business. And this particular one, I think, is connected to many other different things that are brothers and sisters are doing on this planet on our behalf way over my pay grade you know i just focus on what i can do and i pray we pray a lot we ask for guidance that's what we do uh every project has their own time you know that museum thing four years ago somebody told me about the building but i i wasn't ready so it just i remembered but what am i going to do with this building you know i don't know so nothing so four years down the road, mm-hmm. oh, wow, we can do this, can do the museum. Um, what we, one more thing I'd like to mention that we're doing, which is another innovation. And I don't think anybody did it, this before, uh, or at least I don't know about anybody. We're taking the life of Jesus and we're dissecting it in a nonlinear way. Or we're basically putting it together in a way that is nonlinear. And what I mean by that is, if you read the Gospels or you read part four of the Orange Book, there's a sequence. It's linear. Mm-hmm. The time flows forward. Mm-hmm. But there's many places where they don't, re- they don't really go back and, you know, give you a flashback. But you can see things are connected over time and space. Mm-hmm. And also thematically, you know, the progression of uh, his re- Jesus' relationship with uh, the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament and how much of that he's fulfilling, he had to go through phases in his life to do this. So this topic spans the entire part four of the Arantia book, right? It's not limited to this page or this page or this page. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing now, well, actually now, we've been doing this for a year now, and we have thousands of data points. We're basically building a graph that connects many data points of part four of the Arantia book. To the point that, and we're putting this in a computer. So it's a computer database. And then you can ask it questions. You can say, you know, everything that happened in Jerusalem, every every time that Jesus and Mary did something together, okay, what are those things? And then you can write something that says, oh, here's the relationship between Jesus and his mom. This is how he progressed. Mm-hmm. So we're both doing this computer model, and there's a team of people all you ranchers, rancher students, they're writing specific essays. So you can think of this as this is the base layer of the app, the Metaverse app. This is like a Wikipedia with thousands of pages only about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that. And then we're not going to just give you a Wikipedia. We're going to curate studies. We're going to curate Jesus and the 12 Apostles all their training process. So we're going to take from all yeah. 
you know, six or seven on eight papers and just write one page that's, or, or a sequence of things that shows you what happened with the apostles. Where does you know, this from story the moment go? that you saw them. Where this story goes, like, for example, Stephen, the guy who sees him at the crucifix, and, and then he's so yeah. moved that he ends up going back to Africa and he becomes exactly. the first person to be slaughtered, which influences Paul's life, you know, stirs him. So, yeah, so you're going to try to connect all these these all these dots yeah, yeah very exciting so this is a non-linear but of course we're not going to give you this model that you get lost we're going to show you curated experiences especially the people who will never read your rancho book and by this we're going to make everything about jesus accessible to the young people of today that are looking they're looking for stuff mm-hmm. but regrettably they're not finding what it what what it is they're looking for obviously they're looking for god but they don't know. They're not asking for that. And yeah. the institutional religions are not serving them well. And that's a trend that is, that is evident for everybody to see, uh, especially is becoming more and more accelerated the last generation. So I think there's many things happening now where the millennials, uh, the Zoomers, the Generation Z, the people who are now 20 to 40 years old, which are in the crooks of their life, they're already young adults, but you know they need this this uh, other dimension. And what I what I want to say is, we want to help people find their personal relationship with God. This is all we want to do, and this is all these things are just tools. Because when somebody steps foot, opens the door of that museum, and is transported back and and sees with his own eyes or her Jesus behave in a certain way in a certain episode which you know it's like how did Jesus treat women mm-hmm. what was he thinking did you know he had a women core did you know he had 12 women apostles just yeah. like 12 men apostles yeah no most people don't know that what does it mean what did they do why did he do it what did he say about men and wife or men and uh, men and woman? Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. What did he say about family? What did he say about parenting? So when people experience this, our hope is that they will find their portal to connect. Mm-hmm. And that's our well, hope. There's a, there's a statement made about the revelation and how as society changes, uh, I believe it's in the gift of revelation mm-hmm. section. You probably know because you translated it. The presentation is going to have to be restated with every generation. I think that's the term it uses. So this is your approach to restating the content that's in the Urantia book for a new generation to realize. Because kids today are very sophisticated, young people. It's kids, young people. They're very, uh, first of all, they're very skeptical. So that's the first over th- thing that you have to overcome is that young people are very suspicious of authority, it seems, and, and tradition. Uh, so you've got a, quite a challenge ahead of you. There's no question. But uh, it sounds like it's everything's on the right track. Um, before we go, I want to ask you, this is one question I told myself. In, in reading all of this, have you gained a greater appreciation, not obviously of Jesus, but of, of history? of your own history, your, your own, you know, cultural history. Did you, did you get that? Cause 
up, I got to be honest, up until I read the Orange Book, I didn't know a damn thing about anything, about world history, about different cultures, different religions. And if there's anything you get from the Orange Book is a greater appreciation of how we got here. So I just wanted to ask you, about, has it had any influence on the way that you view uh, your own people and, and, and the importance of Jerusalem in world history? And, and it, it, I believe, eventually will become, uh, you know, Adam and Eve come back one day. Wouldn't it be great if they could, you know, settle in, you know? Mm. Uh, that, that, that's what the prophets are saying, you know? The new Jerusalem will come down from the skies, right? Of course, well, we know the enlarged say... version of that, but it's, it's, a, it's a multi-level question I'm asking you. But I think you know what I'm asking. Yeah. I, I can, I relate more to one aspect of it. I'm a student of myself, first and foremost, and humans. I'm thoroughly uh, enthused and enthralled and whatever it is. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. have the words about why we are the way we are. You know? And one of the, the things that interests me the most, and I'll, I'll just say this before answering your question, is what was Jesus' experience when he was here? He was both human and divine. Sometime when he was a young child, he wasn't aware he was divine. But later, Mm -hmm. things happened. And still, he had to go through everything to become a sovereign. He had to go through everything, including death, a horrific death, uh, which wasn't in the books or not necessarily in the books, but everything. So so now when somebody says, uh, you know, Jesus understands you then the reason he can say that is because he has experienced the whole gamut of human, how to, what it is to be human, as well as many other things. So that's what interests me. You know, why are we, I ask the question, why all the time? Why, 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 why is it like this? You know, mm-hmm. why am I like this? Why is this happening? Uh, and I'm a student of everything. Uh, and I'm a skeptic too. You know, why do people behave like this? Why you know, why does this system exist the way it is? You know, who is it serving? And if it's not working, how can we change it? You know, it's my mind is constantly in mm-hmm. this. So this part of the question I I can relate to. But I can say that I've learned a lot about the history of Judaism and the role Jews had. But I I cannot really represent anybody but myself. So it's not and, it's not uh, uh, sacred to you. I think was what you're saying is no. you you don't take the view that we talked about at the very beginning, which is the the secular and the sacred view, which is what a lot of cultures do. They they make their they make their culture sacred because it makes it important to them. You know, even in America, we do this. You know, uh, we're the founding fathers, and you know, they are sacred. In another 500 years, they'll be regarded as angels. You know, we may one day give them sainthood. Who knows? You know. So, but, um, uh, okay. So I'll put your, uh, information on, on the podcast, uh, on our description page, but for people who want to get involved either financially, which is very important Mm -hmm. or people who want to get involved, period, how do they reach you? And what do you suggest? Okay. So we are now, we're going to actually go out and start reaching out to the way I see it. Every Urantia book student that ever lived on this planet or is living right now somewhere, I want to find them and share this with them. I think it's tremendously exciting um, because 
even though it's not our intention to disseminate the Arantxa book, I think a lot of people will find the book through these projects because we're not going to hide that a lot of the information is coming from part four it's of the source Arantxa material, book. right. That's our yeah. source material. So, so we're about to start a direct email campaign with every Arantxa we can find. So we will be reaching out. If you want to reach out to us, we have one good website right now that we're still building, which is jesusmetaverse.org, jesusmetaverse.org. You will find there a donors package. You can sign up for a monthly newsletter we send on every 21st of the month and update on all the projects and every, every other thing of import that is happening and a lot is happening. So we keep uh, in touch with you. Uh, we're going to do fundraising for everything. We're going to shoot a, a pilot episode uh, for this 50 series. Mm-hmm. We need a pilot. You know, before we can actually do something, we need to shoot something. That's going to so be we're working on that now. So are you thinking you'll do something where you'll take uh, any ideas or can you tease us a little bit on what part of his life you might make this pilot? The missing years. We're going to start the the, years. with okay. the missing years. Yeah. So from five until he was 13, kind of a thing. I'm not going to say because we haven't done it yet, but <laughs> yeah, something that people haven't, obviously, whoever doesn't yeah. didn't read your rancher book is going to be surprised that this happened. Um, yeah. So Where we're going to fundraise for for the, the, the pilot, the metaverse, the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these are multi, multi-buck projects. Yeah. Um, but I think it's time for the Urantia community to step up. Every small donation will work. Even if you can only spare a little bit, it will count. And I want everybody to feel invited both to give talent and time and treasure. So there's going to be a, a way to sign up to be a, a volunteer with us. Uh, most of us are working as volunteers. We do have to pay some people to do professional work. Sure. Um, and of course, there's going to be teams of people who are going to we're going to hire to do professional work. Uh, but there's room for a lot of volunteers. And I want to say we're building an organization that will last for a long time. Not this is not. It's it, these are not short projects. And even after we finish some phases of them, they will keep evolving. There will be living things. Mm-hmm. Um, the metaverse, for sure, will, you know, it's it, it, the, the, the spirit of truth help us restate the gospel of Jesus for every generation. So whatever we build now is just going to be the foundation for future generations. So we're spending a lot of time in building an organization, right? We have a nonprofit in the U.S. that can accept donations. We have a nonprofit in Israel that uh, runs all the projects as an executive arm. Uh, people all around the world are working. We're using the best technologies to basically stay connected. We're, our executive team is Mexico, Argentina, um, Indiana, and Israel. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, jesusmetaverse.org. Shoot us an email. Ask us. Uh, we're here and we're going to hear, be here for a long, long time. And we're going to need every ounce of help we can get. I think this is an opportunity for every person who ever studied or was touched by the Arantxa book to come together and leave a legacy collectively for the future generations. We were touched by this revelation individually 
And of course, there's social organizations that are doing things collectively. But I don't think we as a community have done things on this magnitude so far. So now there's a chance to touch millions, hopefully billions of people in the next 25 years. And that's we're shooting for the stars. It's ambitious, but I think with God, everything is possible. Well, I'll continue to update the audience on your progress, jesusmetaverse.org, and then you can at least sign up for the newsletter, and you too can be updated by what what they're doing and how you can get involved as well. So, Gabriel, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, Our time is short, but it was great and educational. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing, as I know a lot of our listeners are as well. So uh, we'll continue, and hopefully to talk again. I know Rick Lyon will be coming on. Uh, everybody has a story and you you know you certainly have brought your story so thank you appreciate it thank you Jake. thank you everybody 